0: episode of the Legal Marketing Studio, the bi-weekly podcast examining branding, strategy, content, and technology in legal marketing. We are devoted to exploring successful initiatives, innovative campaigns, promising technologies, or effective, proven strategies for developing new business at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry, providing the full gamut of photography services for law firms. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I'm speaking with Mark Messing, the Chief Marketing Officer at Dwayne Morris. Mark has a successful track record in communications, integrated marketing, business development, brand strategy innovation, and management of high-impact programs with industry leaders in law firms, B2B, consumer and professional services industries, both domestic and global. Prior to joining the legal marketing world, Mark cut his teeth at some of the most respected ad agencies in the field. Mark, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you. I just wanted to start with sort of a big-picture uh, overview of how you view legal marketing in terms of the mix of marketing, business development, branding, and strategy, and then how those kind of get applied at Dwayne Morris. The business of marketing any organization, product,
1: or service uh, includes all of those components, obviously, and, and it is really unrealistic to exclude any of them from the mix. So I'm glad that your list is comprehensive there. I guess in terms of how we prioritize and integrate the activities and processes that go around each one of those uh, issues, at the end of the day, starts with business development more than anything else. We are obviously in business to be a business. Law firms are not charitable organizations by and large. There is a, a widely reported statistics on profitability, revenue, and imputed success at law firms based on those metrics. So in a way, those, those types of metrics are our scorecard. That is not to say that the other components don't play a part in developing business development success or, or, or making for business development success because they do. Uh, but we have to keep our scorecard somewhat in the, in the, in the uh, forefront of our thinking. Uh, to start with, in terms of strategy, uh, law firms, for better or worse, in the past 10 years have undergone a pretty radical change in terms of the marketplace they're confronting, the, uh, the makeup of clients, uh, the, the types of things clients are asking for or demanding, and how that service or the response to that, those demands and those interests will be delivered. So we need to be not just cognizant about the marketing piece, but also how are the lawyers actually interfacing with their constituencies uh, and as marketers, we interface with those constituencies as well. We interview clients. We are at functions with clients. We are client-facing in some instances, probably not billing time so much, but, but in terms of understanding what's going on in their companies and, and their organizations – uh, and developing a better understanding of what they're looking for out of their law firms and their lawyers. So, it's a it's it's a very intimate thing that's going on here. It is not we don't view ourselves as separate and apart from what the lawyers are doing necessarily. Uh, our discipline is different. Our our thinking might be a little different, but at the end of the day, we are all a big client satisfaction machine here. And I say that properly as it regards the marketing department because our clients, our immediate clients, are are our lawyers. And we have to be keenly focused on client service to them and over delivering against their expectations and and making sure that their concept of marketing and client service are being reflected in what we're delivering. So client service, as it relates to the marketing department, is a big part of what's in, in our minds when we when we think about how we're doing our jobs in terms of strategy. Going back to the fact that the marketplace has changed, for better or worse, most law firms that are in the AmLaw 100 or possibly the AmLaw 200 tend to look somewhat similar. They have different rate structures, they're in different cities, but at the end of the day, the you know the lawyers are coming from a similar group of schools. They tend to be the best schools. We are all getting highly, highly qualified new lawyers as they ascend in our associate ranks. We are all out looking for lateral candidates who, who could join our ranks and be profitable and good contributors to the firm. And when you look at how we're all doing our business, you could look at it and say it's all pretty much replicating each other. So when you look at how strategy intersects with that, our strategy tends to be not top down so much, but bottom up. It has to be somewhat granular. And what, by that, I mean, where are our individual lawyer strengths? Where are our individual practice strengths? Where are our individual geographic strengths? How does that aggregate up to be something which is distinctive, something that we can use to differentiate ourselves, something we can use to be relevant to the marketplace and to individual clients in ways that we think our competition might not be able to? Does that make sense so far?
0: Yeah, so far. I, I wonder what your, you know, how you see your role in defining and balancing those different aspects, uh, and also in you know pushing those individual attorneys or those practice groups into being more forward-thinking about how they develop business or how they perhaps risk something a little bit more than they might be comfortable with to develop that business.
1: <laughs> Law firms are risk-averse. Lawyers are risk-averse. They're trained to be. They're skeptical of new thinking, uh, and there's and they are trained to be skeptics. They are. You know, they, they've been through an incredibly rigorous backgrounding, both academically and then in terms of their training at the firm. And that's what makes for great lawyers, by the way. I mean, you, they need that level of, of, of ability to, to scrutinize and perform due diligence and, and ask the next question, et cetera. So it's difficult as a marketer to show up with a miracle. Miracles don't happen overnight. One of my particular I guess aphorisms that I use once in a while when when we're talking about a, a a marketing gambit or a strategy or an idea or something like that is you know what what is the definition of luck you know it, it, it's better to be lucky than good that's one aphorism but the but the simple fact of the matter is luck doesn't just happen luck is the intersection of preparation and opportunity that's that's what we like to say. And that's what creates a lucky strike when, you, when you're when you in a business development exercise. You have prepared uh, the ground. You've prepared the lawyers. You have thought about what your organizational competencies are. You've thought about what your competition is doing. And the opportunity presents itself, whether that's an RFP, it's a pitch, it's a, a chance meeting or a deliberate meeting at an event or a conference or something else. So in terms of of how we think about our process, we have multiple touch points with both current clients and prospective clients and then people who or people or organizations who are even further away from those definitions. They may just be the marketplace at large. We have a reputational goal which Josh and his group help develop in terms of uh, keeping our awareness high in the marketplace. Because people can't see, you're, you're gesturing over to, to Josh Pack, who's the, the... He's our head of public relations or media relations and, and a, a legend in the field, just ask him. <laughs> uh, and and is, um, has been doing this, how long have you been here? For anybody? About 20 years. No, no, for here. 12 years. He's been with Dwayne Morris for 12 years. I've been here for seven years. And uh, I would say during that time, our brand has been in pretty rapid ascendancy in terms of where we stand in in terms of unaided awareness, in terms of what our, our brand is known for. Certainly, our geography has expanded very rapidly during that time. Our lawyer population has expanded. Our profitability has expanded. Our revenue has expanded. And all of those things are working together to uh, both solidify and augment our position in the marketplace. You know, be bigger, bigger firms get more recognition. That's just the way things go. They have bigger clients, more clients. They're in more industries. They are in the forefront of things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a virtuous cycle. So, anyway, going back to how we view the process of, of bringing clients and revenue into the fold, the touch points we have out there come in several ways. One is the media relations piece we were just talking about. A second is our thought leadership or what we call knowledge capital program, which is expresses itself in many ways. We, If you, if you go to our website, you will find our press releases, our blogs, importantly, our client alerts and other pieces of content that are are meant to be touching the marketplace in one way or another. We found blogs particularly over the past several years have become uh much more important in terms of the uh ability to a um, be be seen by our client base frequently and b they are googleable as opposed to hard copy alerts or or even email alerts that go out under the cover of an email program so that they can't ever leak out into the marketplace. Blogs are easy for lawyers to write. They don't have to be long treatises. They can be short commentary. They can be in the vernacular. And uh, we're not necessarily putting the law firm's reputation on the line every time we, we write a blog. Anything that comes out of the firm obviously has to adhere to certain standards, but it is um, it's easier to write a blog than it is a white paper. It also allows a multiple number of people within a practice area or an office to participate, including associates. So that's, that, that's our electronic stream of thought leadership. We have, I think evolved a somewhat, I won't call it unique, but it's, it's certainly a, I think it's probably at the head of the pack in terms of the way we look at publications here. Our publications come in many forms and, and, uh, and, and they touch many of our practices, but our one thing we discovered early on is that because we run so many events here and the events are one of those techniques that we use to aggregate clients, say some smart things to them, build dialogue with them, uh, and then allow that dialogue to start expanding. And that's sort of meant to kick off a relationship or the beginnings of a relationship that hopefully either gets us into a pitch or gets us a piece of work or builds a, a, a foundation for something else happening. So an event might be a conference. It might be a. Uh, An individual practice area uh, um, talking about a specific subject might be um, bringing to what importantly what events do is bring together clients who are similarly situated in an industry or or have other similar interests uh, and they love talking to each other because they either are competing with each other or they're recruiting from each other or they are all sharing in the same pie or whatever it may be and they're using the same techniques. They're all interested in the same stuff. So when you bring together clients around a topic, you have a, a win-win in a lot of ways. Your lawyers can talk to the clients because they're in the room. The clients talk to each other, which they like. And we get to mine the content that is developed in those types of conferences and, and, uh, let's, let's call them panels for the time being, because often that's the format. And we, we take that content that comes out of that event, snap a few pictures and, create a publication around it and so it's it's easier than writing some treatise about some abstract thing because what we think is that the fact that we held the event have documented it in photography we have people whose names you've heard of at the event there's their photograph it looks like something important happened and you get all the content along with it Um, obviously the audience can't see all this four inch stack of publications i have here but This is a small portion of our our slick publications, all of which are designed and written uh, in-house. And sometimes we hire an outside writer, but they're all designed in-house, and we edit them. And we edit sometimes what an outside writer does here. And basically, these are addressing the private equity community. They're, They're addressing the distressed investing community. They're addressing the trademark law community, and so on and so forth. There are lots of individual practice areas that are represented here. And in each instance, we held an event, took the photos. We can prove something happened. Famous people talked. You, if you didn't happen to be at the event, which you probably weren't, now have the ability to read about it and say to yourself, hmm, those people at Dwayne Morris seem to be in the middle of this stuff. And so that, we think, is is very helpful from the reputational aspect.
0: At a panel, a CMO panel I was at, at last year, the year before, uh, Lee Garfinkel, who's at uh, Allen Overy, talked about how they had done everything that they produced. They also had as print, and everybody in the audience kind of, you know, had to pick their their mouths up off the floor because you know people think print's dead, digital's ascendant. And I was surprised when when Josh mentioned that you were doing so much print. I'm curious, you know, how it ties into things like the blog, or if you're how it's distributed. Uh, and how you're actually using those pieces once they are produced. Well, first of all, they're all on the website. So we're not hiding
1: content from anybody. But secondly, um, let's take private equity as an example. Um, let's say we, we, we have a regular series of what we call private equity connections forums, which basically bring together a panel of middle market private equity operators, private equity groups. One of our lawyers is the moderator, uh, we have done this several times uh, as a as a um, transatlantic video call where we have a group in London, a group in New York, and they each of them can trade questions and and and, and video shots across the atlantic and it, and It really becomes quite an event that people want to go to. We take photographs on both sides of the water and that gives us a a an interesting Platform to discuss the state of private equity deal making or financing or whatever it may be, as it as it relates to both the UK, Europe, and the United States marketplace. People want to know about that. Um, that publication, and there are a couple of examples here that that represent that. Uh, it then becomes our calling card at the next event we do. So the next private equity event or the next corporate event or the next event where we think people who are interested in those types of issues are going to be, they're going to find the, that publication and, and others like it at their tables and it will become clear to them that Dwayne Morris has built up a pedigree and a capability and a competency in this area. We are the lead sponsor of ACG, the Association for Corporate Growth. We're an official sponsor for growth on a global basis, and there's a huge conference that happens every year um, moves around the country, uh, which is attended by roughly 2,500 private equity operators and financing people and, and service people. These publications are all available at that event. And I have to say, it, it sometimes surprises me, and this goes to your question about the value of hard copy, the number of people who will stop by and say, you know, I picked up your volume on connections about that transatlantic video thing you did. And, and I tucked it away. I read it on my last flight from New York to LA. And I have to tell you, that was unbelievable. And it gives them a, a portability that, that I guess is more easily digested. and 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 we know that hard copy works right now. And I, and anyone in direct response will tell you that, when you get something in hard copy in the mail right now, it stands out. And that's yep, true of nice. event invitations, it's true of anybody who, who you meet in 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 at a conference or something. You'll always get an email saying, Hey, love to meet you, and, and it was nice meeting and great talking to you. Hope we see each other again sometime. If you get that same thing in a hard copy from that person, you automatically get much better registration of the message and much better retention.
0: Do you distribute these m- Outside of the events, are they mailed in any way or are yeah, they sent we, to we, clients? We, we
1: mail to, eight journalists um, and, and others who are interested in the topic, but also we have a select mailing list. We don't do huge mass mailings of them because of the cost, but um, we certainly distribute them to select audiences. And by the way, attorneys carry them. Our, our chairman, for instance, loves these things. He's having a lunch with somebody at X Y or Z private equity firm just somebody he knows casually. He tucks two of those into his briefcase and he says, Hey, I, I Joe, whoever it is that he's meeting with. Um, don't know if you've seen our most recent private equity volume. know you'll be interested in it. And he leaves it. It's, it's a massive calling card and they use them like they distribute them like candy like
0: that. It's, it's great. Are you printing these as uh, are they offset? Are you doing a, a large run or are you using like a print on demand kind of thing where you can run off 50 or 75 at a time? Uh, when we started
1: out, we did a, a press run of a couple of thousand and used it for all sorts of different things. At this point we have, because our own internal printing capability has become much better over that time, we can now do these things more or less on demand. So we don't do huge runs anymore. We do more limited runs, um, and then we can replicate them if we need to, but there is a shelf life also. So, you know, after two years, I would say that they more or less, outlive their usefulness in some ways, or at least their their immediacy.
0: That was something I was going to ask about how long, you know, with digital, you can just update it forever. But with print, once you print it, it's printed. How long do you see these being useful?
1: I I would say it's two years, generally speaking. Um, And after that, we will have done two more events anyway, where we will have some new content. Something else will have happened in the marketplace. Um, You know, the law will conceivably have changed a little bit.
0: So, um, I noticed on one of them you've got a QR code right on the front, on mm-hmm. the uh, the belly band of it. I'm curious how you tie them into uh, other digital aspects of the publication. Or-
1: well, the QR code was an experiment. <laughs> 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 I have business cards with a QR code
0: <laughs> on it too. I,
1: I'm not sure that QR codes are what I think of as the wave of the future personally. They, these, these uh, you know, in addition to the website and and accessibility through the website – uh, if if we are doing a pitch, and this doesn't go to digital strategy so much, it goes to selling strategy, but if we're going to go pitch a private equity firm or a distressed investor or a trademark owner or whoever it may be, uh, somebody a, a tech company with, with patent litigation issues, um, part of that pitch, in addition to talking about things that we've done that are relevant and how great we are, is going to be – demonstrating that we are present in the marketplace and that we're current in the marketplace and that we know what's going on in the marketplace. And that's what this does. So in addition to a pitch book and whatever other paraphernalia we might want to present to a client as well as a good selling argument and et cetera, and hopefully great lawyers, we do have great lawyers, this kind of thing really credentializes. And it's another use of hard copy, by the way, it's not digital. I mean that, and these are all the ways we use hard copy in a, at the subsequent events and pitches, lunches, casually, in organized fashion, all kinds of ways. When I think about digital strategy, the kinds of things that we do digitally, you know, range from social media to um, you know things we do on the website to working on our search engine optimization, things like that.
0: So there is not a ton of tie in, any overlap, any tie in between the print and the digital.
1: I mean, when we publish one of these things, we, we, we make a concerted effort to make sure that, that we are, that our Google score is going up on that. So that if somebody wants to read about it, they know we did something. So, um, you know, I, I when I think about digital strategy though, I'm, I'm, it's not so much about selling our hard copy books, to be honest with you, um, or, or even the fact that we have them in soft copy, it is, uh, more about projecting competency and, and making sure that we are, um, appearing at the top of the, the search. And by the way, being on top of the search, I hate to say it, it sounds mechanical. It's not. We have tons of keywords that we are constantly working on. We don't retain an outside agency to do this, but we have a dedicated effort to making sure that we are, we are as good as we can be in, in, in terms of search right now. We're also, for reasons that are not completely clear to me, our firm happens to be perennially among the top five searched on martindale hubble i don't know why that is i have a i don't know why it is it's 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 interesting i mean there every firm in the world is on martindale hubble and and i'm not sure how relevant that vehicle is right now but it's 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 odd to me that we we continue to be on the top of that and we're and we we are punching above our weight in a lot of the digital search areas too where we're, you will see Dwayne morris Way more frequently than we should be appearing, given our where we stand in the industry. So we must be doing something. I don't whatever it may be.
0: Something's right there. Yeah, I know a lot of people sort of end up in legal, and it's it's an odd path most people take. I'm curious how you came from the a uh, very traditional advertising background. I mean, you were at a number of agencies before you came into legal. I'm curious how that transition happened, uh, but also what sort of survives from from that because I feel like it's a very different kind of marketing environment.
1: It is. <laughs> Uh, the how is that a headhunter called me up and asked me if I'd ever thought of legal marketing. And the answer, if you've been doing what I was doing is what's that? It's not obvious to the outside world that this is a job classification that actually exists. And when I, I happened to mention to my father that I was thinking about this after, you know, doing advertising for airlines and retail and insurance companies and et cetera, et cetera. And he, he happened to be a consultant for most of his life. So, um, he's worked with lawyers, but, um, he said marketing, they don't do any marketing. They send out bills. And I'm thinking, well, okay, well that's not my impression based on this one conversation I've had, but whatever. So that was his sage advice. So anyway, I had a conversation with uh, – it a, a, happened to be a different firm at that time. And and we had a, a good sort of alignment of views about what, what could happen, should happen, might happen in, in their marketing program. And um, I started with them. And um, I've, I think this is my third firm now. And uh, it is um, – in my view, as I said earlier when we were talking off, offline here, it's remarkable how similar – the advertising business is to this business and it's not just because they're both professional services which they are um obviously the market the markets are different the clients are different because in the advertising business typically you're talking to a chief marketing officer or other people who are in the marketing department and here you're typically talking to people in the legal department and, and other people in the C-suite the process of of building client expectations and satisfaction is pretty similar the How you treat clients, how you allow clients to feel like they're they're being well served, the fact of surprising them and delighting them with service and ideas and uh, and service in general, very similar. The business development process is extremely similar, and I ran business development for a couple of those agencies, and it's um, you know there's research involved. There is. Developing a point of view about a company, its personnel, its competitive situation, its, um, you know, what emerging trends are in the business, uh, what, what kinds of structural issues they may have, uh, what kinds of new things are happening that are impacting the business and changing things that are going on. That body of diligence about what's going on at a client and then how to build a response to it that's meaningful and, and differentiating is exactly the same.
0: You'd mentioned in talking about the the print material, the design of them, and the the use of photography uh, in those. I'm curious if there's anything that you've brought with you from from the the advertising world in terms of you know the use of creative and applying that in an industry that doesn't necessarily value the creative as much.
1: Well, Dwayne Morris does. I will just say that you know I can't speak to the industry. It's a conservative industry. It's a, it is a an industry that relies on precedent and that's true professionally. And it's true in the marketing. You know, if, if the first thing most people will ask in this industry and I am, I do it myself when I'm presented with something that purports to be a novel idea is who else is doing it because that's credentializes whatever it may be. I'm not saying that's the right thing to ask, but it is, it creates context for decision-making. We are fortunate in this firm not just to have a media relations capability that is competitive with public relations agencies, outside agencies. We have an ad agency or the equivalent of an ad agency that is competitive with outside agencies. We have an event planning capability that is equivalent to an events agency. We have a business development capability that's better than anybody else's. We have a client relationship management system that is Probably competitive with everybody else, so you know we we we've we've um in all this stuff because we like the institutional knowledge it builds up over time as opposed to going outside. We do have a few outside suppliers, but it's it's relatively um, de minimis compared to other firms. One thing that I've worked with our our copywriters and art directors on is exactly what you're talking about, which is kind of staying away from the traditional vocabulary and look of what public of what law firm publications tend to, to default to. And if you, if you look at a lot of law firm publications, which I do, and a lot of law firm pitch books, you're going to find scales of justice. You're going to find big buildings with columns on it that look like the Supreme court entrance. You're going to find a lot of bridges because bridges are a metaphor that seems to cover an awful lot of stuff. You're going to find a sort of a standard, vocabulary of images that that somehow reflect justice or something and i i don't want to be there i that's i mean that's not where clients are clients don't want to wind up in court they don't want to be in the supreme court and they very rarely think of themselves as being weighed on the scales of justice they think they're in businesses they're doing other things so we try to be business relevant and then we try to find metaphors that are striking original different I again I wish your audience could see these things but these are these publications are all designed not to look like a law firm did them they are designed to look like they are a publication that is inside the industry that they are addressing and that's that's where I think our differentiation is and where I think our uh sort of our drill down um relevance to these industries and, and then hopefully the companies within the industries resides
0: uh, I'm curious how you see the marketing business development being balanced between the look and feel of all of these things versus sort of the, the functionality. Our website is our immediate face to clients.
1: across Clients who don't know us, clients who do know us, clients who might be thinking about us. Um, we know that that's, that's where the entry point is. Um, you know, the rest of the marketing that we do is meant to increase our awareness. It's meant to increase our relevance within industries, etc., But the minute anyone in this world is thinking about making some uh, choices or possibly changes in the way their law firm lineup works, that's where they're going to go. We have in the neighborhood of 15,000 pages on our website. It is a huge repository of information about everything we do. Not just the law firm or the legal part of it, but also the institutional part and certainly our people. We know that eighty, more than 80% of the searches that come in through our website are about people. They're looking at lawyers' bios, credentials, body of work, et cetera. One of the reasons we spend inordinate amounts of time reminding our lawyers, please keep your bios up to date. It's the biggest selling point we have and the biggest selling point they have as individuals and Josh reminds them every time he can I remind them every time like everybody reminds them all the time it's it is uh imperative that if they've done something interesting unique novel new differentiating etc that it be reported and that it's it, and it's visible to the outside world because that, a every time they change it it gets re-indexed by Google and they tend to you know that that has a, a a lifting effect if a client's looking for a specific capability and you happen to have that phrase in your bio it 's a bingo, so that aspect of our digital presence out there in the marketplace is like it 's that 's job one, job two, and job three. The stuff about the firm tends to be less focused on by clients because there is sort of the assumption that law firms kind of operate in a, in a similar way and that the business model is kind of similar and uh, you know, there might be some pricing issues that might be a little different, but I think most clients are looking for that magic bullet that might be in, in, in a client, in a, in a lawyer's pile. So that's where a lot of our focus is. As, it, and, and so functionality is job one, job two and job three, because that information just has to be easily accessible, highly transparent and current. Periodically, every organization will have a vocal minority or sometimes a majority that says our website's outmoded. You know, it's, it looks, I I just went on X, Y, or Z's website and they have a whole new look and it's always, that's, you know, people do that. That's, that's normal. I get that. Putting a new skin on a website is not the easiest thing in the world because you got to design a lot of frames and you got to re-art direct the thing and you have to think about what it is you want to convey that the old one wasn't conveying or whatever. And most importantly, because it is the face to the public. If you happen to be in my position, you have to build sponsorship and buy-in across a huge swath of people, the lawyers who are making the decisions. And in a partnership, that's a lot of people. It's not just the leadership. There's, everybody's going to have a point of view about it. I'm saying this as a joke, but introducing a new website is one of the most lethal things a CMO can do for that reason. And I've seen it happen more than I can tell you when you introduce a new website and then that's, there's going to be a new CMO in there because it's that much of a flashpoint. It's that incendiary. So there's, in my, in my view, there better be a really, really good reason to change the skin. At some point we may do it. And, you know, there are some people who look at our website and say, you know, that's not the most beautiful thing in the world. And X, Y, or Z firm has something that looks more contemporary or blah, 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 whatever it may be. And, okay, they may. But at the end of the day, I know why people are using the website. They are using it to research a buying decision. And the thing, the really, the only thing that matters is do they get to the bios or practice information with one one click? and or two clicks at maximum and are they seeing what what is relevant to their buying decision and the and the uh, decision points they need to reach and it, it's not whether there's something beautiful or arresting or striking or new on the home page so we use our homepage for news basically
0: i was hoping we could close this with some thoughts perhaps where you see legal marketing going in say the next five years what are the leading firms going to be doing to develop business whether that's a marketing thing or a business development thing or a process kind of thing? What is it that, that the top firms are going to be doing? Uh, and then what is it that you're doing at Dwayne Morris to really be among those firms, uh, pushing, pushing the legal industry forward?
1: I, I'm not alone in seeing and thinking and knowing that there are automation is creeping in here at a, at an increasing rate. And that's not that's true in legal service delivery. It's true in legal products. It's true in how lawyers research law it is you know there's some there's some body of knowledge that and 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 we've been talking to our chairman about this josh and i have been talking to him about lately about artificial intelligence and where is that going in the law and what does that mean and how much of this whole service delivery thing is going to start moving into an automated sphere and if it does. And assuming that that trend sort of continues in some way, uh, at what point does the lawyerly function start to mutate in some way that allows lawyers to continue to add value beyond being able to give an answer? If you happen to watch 60 Minutes on the Watson segment on Sunday night, you would have seen an hour's worth of how artificial intelligence is actually – it's mimicking so much of what what you do, whether it's driving your car or answering a legal question or – what, or making a baking a cake for you, whatever it may be, there is going to be an encroachment here at some level, and that's going to be true on the marketing side too. All of our marketing material right now, more or less, is on the website. When one of our lawyers calls up and says, "I need a pitch book," because I'm I'm going to go call on X, Y, or Z client um, tomorrow, I want the best marketing material there is. Well, the best marketing material there is exists. It's on the website. And basically, we're going to package that as a book so that you can have or that lawyer can have a an artifact to hand the client, which is great. I mean, I guess they want that. Although if you've ever been in a client's office, when they're running a pitch that's on a competitive basis, and you, yeah, you, you see 10 things and you read them all, and it is absolutely impossible to discriminate between the things except for the fact that they have different names on them. Once a client has gone into that process and and is, is investigating firms, it is going to come down to, yes, can, are they, can these 10 firms all do a transaction or do or handle this piece of litigation? Yes, they can. And so it's going to come down to who do I like? Who, who sounds competent? Who do I think is going to be most presentable to the board? Who do I think is giving me the best idea about how they would process manage my case? Who do I think sounds most responsible and experienced in managing a budget? Who do I feel comfortable going through this incredibly difficult period with? I mean, there, all of this. If it's if it's a high stakes matter, it's not going to be that much fun. It might have a good outcome. You hope it has a good outcome, but that process is going to have some some friction along the way. So you want to have someone you're comfortable with, and that's where the that's what real selling is going to be about. And that's where the the high touch part of this business can't be replicated by automation. So. To answer your question, in my view, continuing to help our lawyers develop those soft skills and not to the replacement of their lawyerly skills, by the way, but helping them understand that the person across the desk is buying them in a way that is more personal, not just them as lawyers. They have to be good lawyers. They have to be able to demonstrate that they've done whatever the job is at hand, but um, the way they understand that process management issue, the way they understand the budget management issue, the way they understand the relationship management issue. To me, those are going to be the things which are going to become the discriminating factors in client selection. And that's where the value is going to be. I mean, it, it, it sounds counterintuitive that you've got all this automation stuff going on in one way, but then I'm talking about soft skills, but that piece isn't going to go away. And that, that ability of marketers to help add value won't go away. The most fun I have, generally speaking in this job is when I have a pitch team and this sounds more granular than, than some grand strategic plan. But if I have a pitch team, that's going to go make a pitch for X, Y, or Z, or just a general get to know you meeting at whatever client it might be is a helping put together that team. Who are the people who are going to have the chemistry, the background and, 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 you know, not, not overkill the thing, but not underkill it. And, and we'll add things to each other's story that, that allow the firm to emerge with, with a unique or interesting position for the client. And then sitting down with them and talking about exactly what each one of them is going to talk about and then forcing them to rehearse. Sounds brain dead, but just as in advertising, if you don't rehearse, it looks like you're just a bunch of people who parachuted in and it doesn't look like a team. Clients want to see teamwork. They want to see that that people have worked together before. They want to see that there is a level of intramural familiarity and 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 accustomed to working together. They want to feel they love it when they're if somebody is capable of finishing someone else's sentence. We used to rehearse that, by the way, in advertising, and we didn't rehearse the jokes, but we had we'd worked together enough that we could tell each other's jokes. Uh, you want to have a pitch team where a pitch team member is talking not about him or herself, but talking about one of the other members so that the client will walk away saying, gee, they really know each other. And, and uh, these are, I don't want to make them tricks of the trade because they're not, but they, but the way you put together a pitch team and then rehearse the pitch team and, and create the chemistry so the client can feel the chemistry, you know, you're going to be pretty far along the process
0: there. Great. Well, Mark, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Appreciate that. Thank you. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. If your firm is updating its website, hiring new attorneys, or revamping its brand and marketing materials, give us a call. We'd love to explore collaborative opportunities. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Extended content, including photographs and links, uh, including links to see some of these publications on the Dwayne Morris website, www.dwaynemorris.com will be in the show notes. And those show notes can be found at legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com there. It's just legalmarketing.studio. Would you like to appear on the Legal Marketing Studio or know someone who might? Please send an email to producer at legalmarketing.studio or reach out via the contact page on our website, legalmarketing.studio. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening.